City's workforce, working for everybody. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And so let's move into today's meaty subject that we're tackling for a good bulk of the show. We're happy right now to be joined in studio by our two guests uh, for what I think will be a very enlightening conversation about a variety of issues related to the local economy, the workforce, how technology fits into all of it, how we're preparing people to get jobs in technology and other fields. And we're happy to be joined by Joey Ortiz of the uh, the executive director of the New York City Employment and Training Coalition. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And Julie Samuels, who is the executive director of Tech NYC. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so why don't each of you take a minute to explain your organization? Tell us a little bit and obviously the audience a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Uh, OK, so. I'm Julie. I run an organization called Tech NYC. It's fairly new. We're about three and a half years old. We represent about 800 tech companies and investors in the city. Um, our members are uh, the big companies, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and hun- hundreds, literally hundreds of small startups, and then everything in between. Um, we work a lot to ensure that New York City is the best place to build and grow tech companies, but we also work a lot to ensure that the growing tech ecosystem here is supporting and working with New York City to lift both the city and the state up as, as these companies uh, grow here. And I'm Joey Ortiz. Uh, again, thanks for having me on the show uh, tonight. Uh, I represent the New York City Employment and Training Coalition. We're a membership organization that supports workforce development training providers, labor unions, colleges uh, that provide training for about 500,000 plus New Yorkers. We currently represent about 180 uh, providing organizations. And our goal is essentially to make sure that every New Yorker has the talent, skills, and education that thrive in the local economy. So the city's economy, obviously, is uh, the workforce is massive. It's as big or bigger than many states, maybe even some countries. Uh, and so getting a handle on kind of where it is and, and where it's been recently can be difficult. You guys obviously have to do that and maybe talk to folks from other cities about the situation here. So pretend I'm someone from Milwaukee or some other town with a name like that. Um, how would you describe the the changes in our economy and our workforce over the past five years or so in terms of not just the size and, and the overall numbers and unemployment rates and that kind of stuff, but the changes in the composition of where people are working. What stands out for you as the important trends? Julie? Yeah, I'll take that one first. Listen, I think that over the past five years, even over the past two or three years, the tech sector in this city has exploded um, in a way that feels noticeable. There are so many jobs in tech. I I used to live in San Francisco. I used to live in the Valley. And I think for a long time, if you wanted to work in tech, there was this feeling that you had to go to the West Coast. Um, what that actually created here is something amazing, which is the people who've worked in tech in New York for a long time all share one thing in common, and it's that they love New York. You know, they made a really conscious decision to be here, and that's actually an amazing thing to get to work with. But, you know, what's really started to happen is as the number of tech jobs here have grown, and now we're at over 300,000 tech jobs in the city, I think that number's probably over 400,000 now since we've done the the research. Um, you see so many opportunities that people think of New York as just as big of a tech hub, if not bigger in some sense, uh, than the West Coast cities. So that doesn't to speak to what how it compares to Milwaukee, but what it does say about New York is that 
the workforce in New York, the types of jobs available are incredibly diversified. Um, the city has done a great job of thinking about resiliency, economic resiliency, you know, after the crash in 2008, um, the recession, you know, really thinking about how we ensure that all types of companies are building here. And, and we're seeing that happen. Uh, the last piece I'll say about this, and then I think we can dig in on some of these, is um, while the geographic diversity of these jobs is not what it should be or needs to be, it is getting a lot better. I mean, th- these jobs are now in, we have Tech NYC as members in all five boroughs. Uh, the majority of them are in Manhattan and lower Brooklyn, uh, but you know, they are all over. And I think that's something we're really thinking a lot about. Joey, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think uh, the the economy, to Julie's uh, point, is is doing incredibly well here in New York City. And I think, you know, compared to other areas of the country, that is, uh, um, you know, clearly more evident. The you know, to Julie's point, uh, the city has done an incredible job for the last five, ten years of really cultivating the tech industry specifically and ensuring that there were opportunities for those companies to grow here, um, providing you know different services and, and projects to ensure that New York City was a, a foundation, a base that they wanted to be in and, and grow here, as opposed to kind of moving to other areas of the country um, where there at that time were you know more vibrant uh, tech ecosystems. Um, and uh, and I think that uh, in itself is a, is a good thing. I think um, you know I think when you get into some of the complexities of of the talent uh, and and whether or not that's reaching certain populations, I think that's a harder conversation to have, and where you know our organization tries to put our efforts and resources towards. But it's important for us to you know stay in tune and connected to the employer community. You know having conversations with Julie and the Chambers and the City of New York to ensure that um, that when these industries, these uh, companies are growing uh, and they're looking for, you know, diverse talent pipelines that they're that they're looking towards the populations that exist here in New York City, as, as well as, you know, attracting new talent to come to the city. So, I mean, we should say as sort of part of this discussion, um, the unemployment rate in New York City is something around 4%. Great overall metric. You know, it mirrors a lot of the drop in various places across the country, especially in in cities. Um, But when you do dig deeper into that, there's a lot of underemployment. There's a lot of growth in lower wage jobs. Right. There's a lot of the the retail jobs that give people opportunity versus being unemployed, but are not necessarily the types of jobs with a lot of opportunity for advancement in either wage or or title responsibility. So there's a lot of nuance to how the economy is doing. And that's a lot of where both of your organizations come in, right, is is trying to ensure that the economic opportunity is varied, is vibrant, and it's not so heavily into in low wage jobs or that people that are in low wage jobs have the opportunity to seek employment in other sectors and other wages. Anybody want to sort of jump in on that theme? Yeah, I can start by saying that first, I totally agree. And I I think that as a city, we as a region, frankly, we need to think a lot about how to ensure that we are attracting those jobs. I mean, companies want to be here. and, And I think that's largely because people want to live here um, and it's this like great self-fulfilling prophecy in a way and that will continue but the work Joey does that's so important and I think you know also what you're getting at is that um, it, we don't want a, a two you know a, just like a two-class system here what do we do to ensure that as we're bringing more and more of these jobs here that more New Yorkers have access to them and we're doing a lot and Joey's uh, you know, Joey will talk a lot about that. I can give some examples, too, that we can dig in. But uh, there's one piece that's left out of the conversation, and I think it's an awkward conversation, and I might get hated on Twitter a little bit for this. But um, I think a lot about 
what and how a city should do to attract the entry-level jobs. Because what we have in New York is a lot of low-wage jobs and a lot of high-wage jobs. And those jobs in the middle are incredibly important uh, for on-ramping people. Uh, you know, for training, like you can't, you you need on the job training. You can't just get training and, and these so are, talk these about talk about what kind of jobs those are because p- people yeah. have talked about before broadly this donut hole. As yeah. you said, you have the yeah. high talent jobs and the low wage service sector jobs in tech. What are some of those mid level jobs that we want to have, and that then we can talk about how we train New Yorkers to to take them? Yeah, those jobs can look. They can. One of the interesting things about tech, of course, is they can look really different. But they can be things like quality assurance. They can be things like a, a, a lot of stuff in the data space, um, data science jobs, and like anything, you know, you could have a PhD level and you could have someone without a college degree. This is one of the things that's great about tech in so many ways. Um, a lot of these jobs in tech also, depending on how you define them, look like sales, look like marketing, look like you know social media specialists. They can really run the gamut. These companies are incredibly uh, diverse in their offerings and, and their functions here. Um, but you know, well, I'm, I'm actually going to let Joey take that one too for a second because he's working really closely with the programs who are providing the training for those jobs. Yeah, talk about. I mean, because think about those jobs. What are the obstacles that you've identified to New Yorkers who are? either not working or working in a lower wage job, getting some of those jobs that, that Julie was just talking about, and what are the ways you've seen policy and, and businesses um, figuring out a way to surmount those obstacles? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think aside from the um, the companies themselves, I think the real issue is, is training, is, is providing access to quality training um, for individuals from these marginalized populations and, and communities. And so, you know, that that requires being very intentional and thoughtful about how to integrate uh, individuals into those programs, how to identify their skill set and appropriately align them to those trainings. Um, but more than anything, it's it's really about investment into those programs. And, uh, and you know, in addition to that, you know, there are traditional job training programs that are providing a, a skill training, a, a development into a particular career pathway or, or job. But there's a large percentage of the population that is well removed from even being able to participate in a job training program because they have certain skill deficits. Uh, it might be language skills or math and digital skills. Um, that That's something that we focus a lot of our attention on is that population here in New York City. Uh, um, and uh, and we call those programs bridge programs because it's contextualized learning that provides uh, uh, an opportunity for people to receive the training and, and, and uh, support that they need in order to pipeline into those job training programs. But this, you know, you know, one of the issues there is that it requires a significant amount of investment for those individuals because you're not just obviously investing in the job training program. You're also you know, uh, uh, investing in that on-ramp into that job training program. So the ROI is, is difficult to quantify. Um, and uh, and that investment is also difficult when, you know, you talk about the populations that often are uh, benefiting or would benefit from those programs. They may, you know, already be receiving some other, you know, public benefits and, and be in public housing and other things. So when you bring all that together, it makes it very difficult for uh, policy leaders and, and other, you know, at the city, state and federal level to make those necessary investments. However, it's it's not necessarily something that can't be done without pol- political will. Right. and. Just quick, quickly to follow up, you, you said that investment a couple of times, and then you said, you know, uh, city, state, federal level is is what about the private sector investing? And obviously, Julie, jump in here too. But is 
how did, when when folks should think about bridge programs or workforce development programs after the bridge program, uh, what is that sort of what are the different legs of that funding and investment look like? Yeah, I, I think that uh, Julie could certainly talk more about uh, you know what some of the companies are doing, but I think uh, certain companies are paying for talent. Uh, you know that comes in the type of talent they're paying for is a variety of different. Uh, uh, um, you know, communities, whether it's coming from a training provider or if it's coming from university systems and, and those types of uh, uh, recruitment uh, um, efforts. Um, but it, it's not usually the case, um, mm-hmm. it, particularly with this, this population that we're referencing. Um, many of the companies are more invested in terms of uh, and may even see it in some ways some, as philanthropy uh, and investing in uh, um, the organizations through uh, ways that are helpful and important for the organizations because they're they're working closely to the community and the, and the companies want to be closely connected to those communities and supporting them. Um, but we're not yet there at that level of, of paying and investing in the talent coming from. There are some outliers there. Uh, in fact, I worked at an organization in Western Queens, uh, um, and we developed a training model that allowed for people to you know, level up their, uh, um, uh, the quality of talent within the company. So they were essentially paying uh, um, for uh, the organization to retrain individuals within the company for technical jobs. Uh, and, and other companies, uh, other programs that were working closely with companies to do similar projects. Um, but the organizations, the companies that are doing uh, this really well, understand that they need to diversify their talent pool. They they understand that there is an economic uncertainty by not investing in your community in that way um, for a variety of reasons, whether it's the political issues, uh, whether it is the social concerns that often come up in large conversations and economic development projects, um, or it could also be uh, uh, that um, you know, there isn't enough talent to, to fill these jobs, and uh, they need to think about how they are reaching more diverse communities in order to uh, fulfill that economic uh, potential that they're, they're hoping that they have. So I've got a couple things to say to that. And the first is that uh, we are increasingly seeing more and more companies getting more involved, both uh, in writing checks and also being involved in other ways, for instance, working with organizations to help develop curriculum which is incredibly important, like to make sure that we're actually giving people the skills uh, that that will hire for. Um, a great example of something that's happening that's that's not on the workforce development side so much as the K through 12 side, which we haven't really talked about, but is obviously crucial to this conversation, is a city program called CS for All. Um, it's an $80 million public-private partnership. Computer science Uh, being CS, yes. Computer science (laughs) being CS. And uh, we're about halfway through a 10-year program to bring uh, computer science education to every New York City public school. It's totally working. The numbers for who is taking the uh, advanced placement computer science exam in New York City schools is off the chart compared to our peer cities, um, especially with regard to who those test takers are. I might have this slightly off, but I believe about 40% of the takers last year were women, which is just... Uh, really far ahead of any of our peer cities. So I, I feel optimistic. You know, we're really thinking about the pipeline holistically. We we need to. Um, there's one other trend that I think is really important here. Well, two, but, but one, well, many. <laughs> but, <laughs> but specifically, uh, listen, this sounds trite and it sounds a little corny, but increasingly every company is a tech company. And in right. fact, the largest tech employers in New York probably aren't who you would think of as a tech company you know they're probably yeah they're the banks they're the financial institutions they're Mm -hmm. hiring at the the highest scale um of course there are a lot of 
large tech employers. But if you put uh, aside a handful of the largest tech employers, the majority of tech companies in New York are still kind of small and growing. So one of the things we're thinking a lot about is how to create, and Joey and I are thinking a lot about this together. Um, I don't think we have the answer yet, but I would love to be able to plug in a company that's, you know, 50 people, 100 people, which maybe doesn't have the scale to to really dive into training a bunch of people when they have immediate hiring needs, but how we might be able to create that scale across an industry. Um, the other trend I really want to make sure we get a chance to talk about, it's so much broader than this conversation, but I, I think it, any conversation you have about tech's impact on our city uh, you know, needs to be in the context of understanding how rapidly these changes have come, I mean, so quickly. And if if you take a second and think about some of the impacts there, um, think about our education system, you know, and and one of the problems we've got is that our education system, particularly our public education system, which was already, you know, not always, uh, up to date. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, is it's really hard to, to move that ship quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and we really need to be thinking a lot about that. That kind of rapid change for an economy and for a society, quite frankly, is, Really, really complicated. Well, we want to come come back to some more of that, and Jared's going to ask whatever is burning uh, on his <laughs> mind. But I just wanted to say, you know, based on something you just said, Julie, it all it often frustrates me how we even use tech companies to talk about Google and Facebook. They're not ex- they're not really tech companies, right? Google's an information company. Facebook is a social media company. Now they've both branched into all sorts of things, but. In essence, you know, we've we've sort of just thrown this label at them, but they have much different central missions and now many missions. Amazon is not a quote unquote tech company, right? It's a you know, it, what I mean, is a tech company? Yeah, right. right. Exactly. I mean, there are companies that provide the tech and and really work on how the tech works, and some of that happens within those larger companies. But that's happening, as we just said, in the financial institutions yeah. as well. And, and I think one of the really interesting trends in New York is that. It, the, the next generation, I think, of really large tech companies, the, it's not the technology that's going to be the hardest part. It's how you kind of integrate into existing sectors, dealing with um, incumbent industries, government, regulators. And so a lot of the jobs aren't going to be the hardcore technical jobs. They're actually going to be all of the other jobs that fit around that. And New York is really primed for those types of roles. The other thing um, that I think is is really interesting here. And this is a kind of a little bit more of a tech wonky trend. So bear with me for a second. Um, but I, I think what you're going to see, I think there's going to be another donut hole, if you will, which over time, a lot of the, there's increased automation, of course. We know that in so many, so many parts of work. But, um, a lot of the technical jobs, there will be, for instance, it used to be really hard to build a website. Um, if anyone has their own website now, it's really easy, right. and that's really cool. And in fact, there's an amazing New York company, Squarespace, that that's kind of led to that. Um, I think that's a trend that you're going to see um, in in a lot of types of jobs. Um, so we're also watching that closely. I just wanted to say that you're listening to Max and Murphy on 99.5 FMWBAI, and that actually goes to what I wanted to ask and ask Joey about because. 
when we talk about tech jobs, and obviously, as we've said, there are there are tech companies, there are non-tech companies that use tech jobs, there are jobs that didn't used to be tech jobs that now are. So it's a broad swath we're talking about. But there's sometimes a mythology or kind of an aura around them that Correct. I think is unhelpful uh, in a lot of different ways. And so I guess the question is, when you're thinking about how to make the city resilient, especially communities that have traditionally been excluded, bringing them in, do tech jobs tend to allow families to get ahead of the affordability crunch in the city? Do they pay enough to do that? Are they generally safe from automation or outsourcing, which are the things that obviously a lot of people in their tech or non-tech jobs worry about? Yeah, I mean, I think to that first point that you mentioned and also uh, Ben mentioned is that really the kind of the framing of them as tech jobs and and tech companies often creates this allure around them that often uh, uh, feels like it's unattainable. It's unreachable. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. It's not so more the case than really any other jobs. Uh, um, and so I, you know, Amazon's a logistics company mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and had, and other companies obviously uh, are different, but, it, you know, we talk about in that framing in that way for kind of marketing purposes, right? Um, and, and it supports their business growth. Um, I, I think uh, to the second part of your question, um, these jobs that we're referencing in, in tech companies, and, and uh, Julie talked about kind of the future of work, you know, jobs are changing overall and require different skill sets, and that's going to continue to change over the next five, ten years. And we actually you know, are forecasting that there will be uh, a growth in the number of jobs over the next uh, uh, ten years, but they're going to look very different. They're going to require different skills, uh, um, and many of those are actually just you know traditional human skills that are, are not necessarily uh, uh, um, that are going to be kind of uh, uh, moved out uh, as a result of, uh, of uh, specific jobs uh, kind of being sunsetted or, or, or uh, kind of restructured. So I don't think they're necessarily uh, unreachable for the the average person any more than any other job. We still, however, have to do a better job of educating folks on the types of careers that exist um, that connects to the educational system, to the workforce system, uh, and you know, creating uh, uh, public investment and policies that will really center around that in, in such a way that will uh, um, create the type of generational opportunities into these careers and generational wealth uh, uh, that other com- communities afford or are afforded and benefit from. Um, but uh, but the jobs are here. They're going to continue to grow. Their cities like New York are always going to be at a, a competitive advantage of uh, having you know companies like those that Julie and other organizations represent uh, um, uh, come here. Um, we just need to obviously provide the best opportunity uh, for individuals to access and, and receive the necessary support and training in order to get into those uh, opportunities. How do you think efforts to regulate the gig economy will impact the tech sector? And its ability to create the kind of jobs that that New York and especially its traditionally excluded communities need. So obviously that's that's a um, complicated and confusing question, especially right now because things are <laughs> things are moving quickly. Um, California, of course, recently passed a law called AB five um, that that would. It makes an effort to reclassify a bunch of workers who are now considered contract workers as full-time workers. Um, there are some challenges to that law, both legal challenges and logistical challenges that are kind of playing out. So I, I don't mean to punt, but I some of it is we'll, we'll see. And frankly, I'm glad California went first because it gives us some ability to see. And, and I hope New York is smart enough to realize that we can use that to our advantage. Um, and as we recently covered at Gotham Gazette in depth, 
New York is looking at the California model. There's legislation in the state. The governor has just um, announced a, a task force to to give him some recommendations because he came out pretty pretty hard in his state of the state yeah. uh, speech around. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think this is this is an issue I've been thinking about for a long time. It's really complicated. I mean, like with most things, if there was an easy answer, it would have been fixed. I, I do think that this kind of idea that there are two different types of work, there's a 1099 and a W-2, and that's it. It actually doesn't make sense for a lot of people. And I think what you found is that people are trying to put square pegs in round holes, and it's led to some results that, you know, don't feel great. And I... If we had, particularly in D.C., a more um, the, the ability to get nuanced, difficult things done, which, you know, say what you will about what's happening at the federal level, I think we'd really be taking a deep dive into these questions. Like, you know, uh, what if we divorced benefits from your employer? Like, what would it look like if you were able to be in control of your own schedule, be able to get the types of benefits that we all think workers need and make a true living wage, but that it wasn't tied to a single employer. Like that's that would be better for the world, but in our current legal framework, it's it's complicated. And there are conversations around these portable benefits, yeah. and, and cities are thinking about that. Uh, you know, organizations are developing technology to support that. It, it, it's certainly a uh, um, really interesting direction as you think of how work changes and the needs of employers change. But we we do have to be conscious of um, the. The importance that these benefits play in, in a person's life, and and um, and I, you know, I think as companies, uh, um, of course, are changing so rapidly and, and growing at such such a pace uh, that you know sometimes has a, a, an incredible uh, effect, you know, positive or negative on industries. Uh, we do need to do our best to uh, to protect people. You know, one thing um, I think you're about to ask a question, but I, there's Go something ahead. I've got to say about that, and. and it's kind of a more 10,000 foot view. So maybe it'll be a transition to something for you. But, um, you know, I think that some of the trends we're talking about, um, contract work versus full-time work, uh, public education, the, the trends we're talking about actually have nothing to do with technology, right? What really has happened though is because technology has changed things so quickly and because it's created transparency that didn't always exist in the economy and in the marketplace, we're seeing those trends now. And as we think about regulation and tech companies need more regulation. I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But as we think about what that looks like, I hope we don't miss the opportunity to interrogate some of those underlying concerns, because just regulating the tech companies is, is putting a Band-Aid over something that is underlying in our society that is not working right. And I hope I hope that we have the wherewithal as a society to use this moment to really dig in on those meatier and frankly much harder questions. Joey, go ahead and say something on that because obviously the way that um, you know pre-K to twelve education works and then higher education works or doesn't work directly impacts the types of programming that you know the organizations you're leading and working with are offering. The bridge programs mm -hmm. being necessary, uh, you know, speak a little bit to the sort of your view of what's what's broken, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you know, Julie's highlighting these systemic challenges that have existed for for decades that have prevented specific populations from from growing, and I think have often required uh, um, or or played into the kind of 
the discussions around, you know, specific entities potentially being bad or, or good and not being supportive of the larger uh, issues uh, um, that people are facing. Um, you know, it's, it, it, there's no question that, you know, the educational system uh, requires uh, uh, a deep overhaul and rethinking, uh, uh, particularly a K-12. And I think the um, uh, the city has done a, a pretty good job of addressing some of these issues in, in recent years. CS for All, as an example, uh, um, pre-K for All uh, is is a, you know a, a huge win uh, for the educational system. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, um, Borough President Eric Adams. Uh, you know I know that at the uh, Abney event a couple of weeks ago, he specifically highlighted the the you know an issue that is is real that that people. Uh, uh, children at a very young age are, are, are um, you know, it's it's very, really difficult to change some of the issues that they are experiencing because they become so deeply ingrained genetically into uh, right even before pre-K before right. pre-K. Right. Um, so the earlier we're getting individuals into the school system will allow for them to really benefit from the structures that exist to support their career growth potentially into the types of jobs that Julie uh, supports with her companies. We've got about five more minutes here with our guests. I'll just say again, they are uh, Joey Ortiz, who's the executive director of the New York City. Employment and Training Coalition, and Julie Samuels, the Executive Director of Tech NYC. You can find both their organizations, obviously, online to learn more about them. And thank you both for, for the time. Um, I want to let make sure Jared can get to one more thing. So maybe um, just sort of more a lot on government on this show, on public policy. Um, what are some, you know, what are one or two things from your perspective on the sort of wish list that you wish government would do better or government would understand better or uh, government would get out of the way on or whatever it might be um, that you really would look for from a public policy standpoint that you think would help New Yorkers help the economy uh, move ahead? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, listen, tech is thriving in New York, and I think that state and local government uh, has done a good job of of fostering that. Um, But I I worry that in the current political environment, things have changed a bit, shall we say. And, you know, I I think um, these conversations require a level of nuance. And what I said before, I recognize it's a little Pollyanna-ish, but I firmly believe this. Like, I, I... think that it technology has done an amazing job in exposing a lot of problems that we were ignoring for a long time and i hope that our lawmakers um and elected officials have the patience and have the political fortitude and courage to recognize that and not just go after tech because it's convenient um which is is i think a real risk in the current environment so i want to ask before we depart um to talk about Amazon, which has only been mentioned, I think, once in this conversation, kind of amazingly, a logistics company, not a tech company. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and, and not to Julie relitigate, conjured that not by, to relitigate the, uh, the, the question of the deal itself yeah. that came and then went because there are six people in this room with probably six different opinions on what that meant or didn't mean. But what has the impact of the implosion of that Amazon deal had on the tech conversation in New York City and the general job job growth workforce development conversation. What has the impact been? So the impact actually has not been so bad. I mean, listen, the industry continues to grow. Companies continue to come here. I feel just as bullish as I did on, you know, a year ago before Amazon pulled out. Then I then I I forgot which how that sentence should be structured. But I will just say I still I felt bullish before and I feel bullish now. The thing that strikes me as a real shame is something I talked about at the outset, and it's thinking about geographic diversity. Um, 
yes, Amazon is now bringing thousands of jobs, significantly fewer than would have been part of HQ2. But the fundamental difference is those jobs are going to be in Hudson Yards and not in Long Island City. And putting aside the specifics which I could talk about for hours, but I will spare you all. Um, putting aside the specifics of what happened in 2019, um, we do need to think as a city and as a region about how those jobs get moved around. The one thing that didn't come up today, and I'm just going to put a plug in this, like Please. I think there is no, almost nothing more important for the tech sector and for all, all of the sectors in New York than functioning public transit, especially mm-hmm. having lived mm-hmm. and worked places where... Uh, there is no functioning public transit. I cannot overstate the importance uh, being able to live places, get to work, um, and what that means for a city and a region. And, and I think that's part of this conversation, too. Yeah, I'm going to kind of pull in the, the question you had earlier, uh, Ben, right before that, and your question, Jared. I think, um, you know, the thing that the city can do more of is, is one, um, doing a better job of investing in the population that we've talked about today. Uh, you know, we've uh, been working with our partners uh, and for a number of years now to to uh, build funding into bridge programs. Uh, um, there's a specific ask uh, in the city as aligned to a career pathways blueprint that was pulled together a number of years ago. And so, you know, our hope is that we can get the city uh, and work closely with them to uh, you know, determine the, the best possible ways uh, to uh, support the populations that, that we all care deeply about and, and know that are disconnected from the, the work. I think we also connected to you know, the Amazon conversation have to do a better job of aligning workforce and economic development uh, uh, together. Um, and, um, you know, we've seen, I think, what the Amazon project uh, um, highlighted most, particularly at the community level, was that Folks are just just concerned. There are lots of different things that they're thinking about, and and and, uh, um, and how these projects might impact their lives. You know, forget the loss of the jobs, which is is a huge loss to the city for sure. And you know, Julie and I were part of the uh, the project, and and uh, and you know, were uh, you know deeply involved in and in. in Attempting to figure out the best possible way for it to work for the city and for the companies involved and, and uh, the different agencies, but it, it 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 highlighted that people are just scared. Um, you know that the um, the massive changes that can often uh, occur in their community uh, are just leave a level of uncertainty that I think um, was uh, that allowed for I think the concerns to be elevated at such a level that was really unusual in these conversations um, and. Um, and I think you know the if there are any uh, uh, if there is any real good that came out of the process is that you know people are thinking about that now, thinking about how to integrate uh, communities and those concerns into an earlier stage of the process, and, and ensuring that growth can be more inclusive. Uh, um, when it happens. Well, one of the things you're getting at, which is the companion to what Julie brought up, is housing, right? Correct. Housing and transit, you can't remove those, first of all, from you know the lifeblood of any city, but then you can't really remove those from a discussion about how the economy is doing. And in New York City, you certainly can't remove those from fears of development or a big you know project that could totally change at least a big part of the city. So those are... Um, two obviously companion and complementing issues that that come into play here joey ortiz julie samuels thank you so much for taking the time with us we appreciate it thank you thanks for having us so jared uh 
any thoughts on the discussion we just had in our in our last few minutes here? I also want to ask you about some recent city limits reporting. Yeah, and but, likewise uh, for Gotham City. Yes. Well, it's awkward because our guests are still here, so yes. I guess that they were great. <laughs> uh, no, it was a really interesting conversation. I think so many threads to pull apart. One of the overwhelming ones, I think, was that you know I think we are we are starting to uh, demystify tech, and I think it's no longer seen as this panacea that can sweep in and solve all our problems. It's also not this big scary thing that only like astrophysicists can work in. It's becoming part of like just the city economy. It's it's the you know it's the new factory job, I guess, with some important differences there. But I think that's really really helpful to the conversation, and I think also recognizing as as both our guests said that tech is becoming a bigger part of every industry and really even every job um, as we go. It's a bigger part of my job sure, now yeah. than it was you know 15 years ago uh, when I was working. You probably were still in high school, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think that's that's a really important part of it. Which is not to say that there aren't huge problems to deal with and that some companies are problematic. Perhaps even some companies we refer to by name here. Um, but I think that's an important part of the conversation as well. Right, and, and you know one of the big takeaways for me from this conversation and, and many others, including the the bigger Amazon conversation, is yes, what, what was just mentioned about transit and housing, of course, but also this education piece where we're at pre-K to 12, where we're at in community colleges and especially at the public universities um, of CUNY. Uh, you know, there there really, I think, needs to be some real holistic rethinking of what the whole system looks like and how it relates to where and how we're preparing young people for the jobs, not of the present, but of the future. And that doesn't mean trying to project predict the sort of outrageous technology that's going to be available. It's much more about how people think, how people process information, whether they, you know, have really good critical thinking skills and other skills that are just what you need to survive and what you need to flourish in any economy. But with this added layer of how quickly things change, that you have to be nimble, you have to be able to adjust to new trends and new practices and, yes, new technological tools as Again, like you said, we've even seen in our jobs that are not necessarily that complicated going from, you know, a lot of typing things out on on typewriters to typing things on computers. But there are elements of it that are certainly more digitized and complicated and uh, and technological. I still find typing very complicated, just for the record. But I think and that brings up another thread that we talked about, which is important, which is this question of, you know, what is attached to work? You know, benefits. Does that make sense as you want people to be more nimble as the economy becomes more nimble? And I think that ties into something that you covered this week, which is childcare, which is a huge factor, obviously, for people in every industry has always been a puzzle in New York City, one that we somehow haven't solved. But you pointed out this week or your site pointed out this week that this is a key year for a state effort to try to investigate that a little. Right. We mentioned this conversation that the governor is just proposing hasn't hasn't even, you know, impaneled or anything, a task force on regulating the gig economy. Well, the governor previously, well previously, impaneled a task force on childcare availability, and so we sort of took a, a deeper dive into that with uh, an interview one of our reporters did with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, who is co-chairing that task force on childcare availability. And as Hochul pointed out, and others we talked to for the article, childcare is a essential piece of the economy in many ways, both for the people that provide the child care as professionals and how they're doing and the fact that, you know, we don't want people who provide child care to themselves be seeking public assistance because they don't make enough money in their line of work, which is a very skilled, important line of work. But then in the larger picture, of course, 
allowing people to be in the workforce if they want to seek childcare elsewhere and, and all sorts of related topics. So um, we took a look at that. It's going to be a year-long process this year with recommendations due to the governor at the end of the year. So this is something that's more about the public conversation that's going to happen this year around child care in New York State um, and then probably on the governor's agenda next year, but an important topic. And it's also something that we, we talked about him at the start of the show. City Controller Scott Stringer has a big proposal out that we mentioned in the article um, about child care in New York City. How about you? What do what do we, what do you want to highlight from city limits? Well, it uh, feels like it's on the other end of the spectrum, but obviously it all it all it is all of a piece. We have an article that we came out with today talking about the population living in hotels uh, on the dime of the city's homeless shelter system, uh, a situation that has actually gotten somewhat worse in recent years, despite a mayoral pledge to improve it because of other changes they've made. The city has stopped using cluster sites to house homeless people that has forced more people into hotels. And frankly, the situation appears to be so um, persistent and will be around for a number of years that advocates are looking at ways to make hotel living more uh, acceptable, more hospitable for folks who are, are sent there, including things like figuring out how to help them do their laundry, how to help them cook, uh, providing more social services. So a way of trying to deal with that situation, which looks like it will not be going away anytime soon. A very important piece folks should find at City Limits and ties into something we also mentioned early on, which is that City Council Speaker Corey Johnson's coming out with a new plan tomorrow on addressing homelessness in the city. So uh, whether he references that article or just the issue therein, it is a key piece of the discussion around how to address homelessness in New York City. Well, we'll be discussing these issues and many more in coming weeks here on Max and Murphy. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Other than that, you can follow us at GothamGazette.com and CityLimits.org. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to Reggie Behind the Glass. Everybody have a great week in the greatest city in the world.